Hello, everybody. My name is Jacob, and I'm a marijuana addict. Um, and it really is a privilege to be here. Um, it's a beautiful day here in Portland, Oregon. And, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing that I, I really don't feel... Um, I really don't feel the need to use marijuana today to enjoy, uh, to enjoy this beautiful weather, to enjoy a walk with my dog, or to do just the little things in life. Um, and so today, I'm I'm very grateful for Marijuana Anonymous for giving me that freedom. Um, and I, you know, I just recently went on a, a camping trip in Southern Oregon, and was again made aware of how beautiful it is to be in sobriety. Um, and how much more time and space I have because I'm not obsessing about marijuana. Um, and really, you know, it's amazing to, uh, to, to live a life, an addicted life to then get into MA and get sober because before I came into MA and everything that I'm going to share after this, you know, I really, I really wasn't aware of, um, we, we we say in these meetings, you know, we share our experience, strength, and hope. And, you know, before MA, I really didn't have much of an experience. You know, I, I, I wasn't very present. Um, I, didn't really re- I didn't really know what was going on in my life. I had no idea uh, how – I really had no idea how miserable I was until I got into MA and I worked the first step. Um, and I, I, I soon saw how how powerless I was over this this drug, and how unmanageable my life had become. And so, with that being said, I'm so thankful for MA for giving me, you know, a framework, a little a little step by step design to to not only deal with the past and my powerlessness over my present condition and what has happened in the past, but more importantly, to to enable me to live present today and to have a trajectory, have a future that um, is, is best for me. Um, so I'll kind of get into what happened, um, you know, before MA, uh, you know, a brief, um, a brief synopsis, if you will. And then my experience coming into MA and, and, and really the best part about my, my life today is, is being in MA and what it has given me. I um, grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I was born and raised there. <laughs> and, and, you know, I found marijuana when I was about 13 years old. I remember walking my dog, Sophia, around the block. I lived on a, on a, in a neighborhood that was kind of like a big circle. And I remember there was this one kid on the block that I was always you know, kind of freaked out about, you know, kind of scared of. And, and, um, and I remember one day as I was walking my dog, they were, um, just outside chatting. And as I walked past, that's kind of how I was introduced to the friend group that, um, that I always kind of wanted to be a part of. They were quote cool for some reason. I didn't know why. And, when I walked my dog past them and, and started a, a conversation, I ended up um, kind of joining their friend group, and that friend group was what led me um, to using my first time not too long after. I was probably a, around the age of 13, and I, I don't remember. Um, I don't remember my first time smoking marijuana. Um, 
I didn't really have that immediate, um, literal, immediate euphoric experience that I can recall. However, at, at 13 years of age, I was a, a, a pretty solid academic, you know, I mean, was just starting, um, just starting high school. So getting out of eighth grade, going into high school, I was, you know, uh, solid academically was showing, I should say I was showing up to school at least. I was playing sports. I was in hockey. I, um, at about the age of 12, 13, I loved being in the garage with my stepdad, tinkering on stuff, um, welding. I was really into welding and, and, and just kind of, um, you know, doing a lot of extracurriculars. And that, 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 that was um, something that I really enjoyed. And when I began smoking marijuana with my friends, I realized that this was way funner. Um, and so it quickly, although I don't remember the first time I used marijuana, marijuana quickly became a, a focus in my life. And I didn't even realize it. It was just something that we did. It was... Um, Something that we did, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when I didn't have to um, go home and uh, after school and go to hockey practice, or I really wor- wasn't working on a project. It was it was sort of the weekend thing. And what I realized when I worked my first step was I, I saw how quickly my addiction had progressed, um, and I didn't realize it at first. But one of the big epiphanies I had was I, I always thought of myself as somebody who didn't really like being around people. I, I thought, I don't really like people. That that was what I thought about myself in adulthood um, and even in MA for the first few months before I finished working my first step. And what I realized was, no, no, I love being around people. I just don't like being around people that smoke my marijuana. And so I had developed these ideas about myself that were based like it says in our literature in the first step, I, I develop, maybe it's the second step. I developed these um, identities about myself that were based in delusion. And one of the biggest ones was that I didn't like, like I wasn't good around others, um, that I, I, I liked being by myself. And I found when I worked my first step and I saw the trajectory of my life, you know, by the age of 14, um, you know, I started to, uh, leave, leave school early to, to get high. Um, and then at the age of 15, although I was becoming more successful in, in, in sports and, and achieving things, you know, on a national level, I, I stopped wanting to go to practice. You know, I stopped wanting to participate in, um, in the, in the, in the, in the community that I had participated in before. I found marijuana, I, I much rather would, uh, you know, hang out with my friends and smoke weed. And, and at the time, it really wasn't a big deal. Again, I, my experience wasn't necessarily a present one. It was, um, it was the one shrouded in, in just distortion and delusion. And then by the age of 16, that's when my social lubricant of marijuana actually began to sort of turn in, in on itself. And that thing that opened me up to all these different friends on the block that I was afraid to talk to, it actually became something that uh, separated me from a lot of them because they wanted to do other things other than smoke. And I didn't want to do other things other than smoke with these people. And so the people that, that wanted to do other things would end up doing other things. And the few people 
mostly one or two others uh, that wanted to continue to use like I used, they stuck around. And so the addiction progressed from it being that lubricant that connected me to people that I was afraid around to to then um, I didn't want to be around most of those people anymore because they didn't want to use like I used. And then eventually, uh, a year or so after that, even those one or two people that I um, found I uh, wanted to use like I used, I I didn't like them using around me because they used, you know, and I wanted to use more. And I, I found myself becoming um, critical of them and, and sort of judgmental because I was just pissed that they were smoking the weed that I had, you know. And so my life became very small by the age of 18, you know, I really had very little going on, um, other than me wanting to use. And I was lucky enough about, at about that time to get invited to move up to Portland. My brother had lived in Portland for some time and, um, and I moved up to Portland and moved in with him. And that geographical was, gosh, probably one of the best things that happened for me. I didn't, get sober then uh i kept using intermittently it was significantly less than i used in las vegas it was much more difficult for me because of that progression of the illness i wasn't like this social guy and so i didn't um i didn't really have the tools to go out and get it um when a family member would use it i do recall for probably the next two years of my life uh, at dinners or at parties with family, when a family member would, you know, load the piece a little bit um, and then take a hit and then be done, I, I do remember finding myself baffled that they um, they could so easily stop and put the marijuana down, and um, and and that was uh, an example of the craving for me that I developed over time. That when I you know, saw marijuana or smelt marijuana, I could automatically just begin to crave it, you know, incessantly. And one was never enough. And there was no such thing as too much, even when I was completely wasted. And what ended up happening was a few years after I moved to Portland, Oregon, um, I ended up having a couple of crises in my life relationally, also where I lived. And I was, um, but you know, at, at one of my bottoms and I found myself, um, on a phone with, with a guy who, who, um, who questioned my marijuana use because I, I was, you know, coping. That was my coping skill was to smoke marijuana. I couldn't go to sleep. Otherwise I, I remember lying in bed, um, in the basement of my aunt's house, um, just, just, you know, it wasn't praying. It was promising to myself that I wasn't going to use marijuana to go to sleep tonight. Um, I'm not going to use, I'm not going to use at like, you know, 10 o'clock at night and I, and I would stay awake for, you know, five more minutes, 10 more minutes. And I had to tell my, I'm not going to get up and use. And, um, and I lived in a little tent in their basement. And so the zipper, like I was afraid of making the zip noise because somebody might wake up and catch me because I, I knew inside of myself somewhere that something wasn't right at this point. I couldn't describe it. I couldn't articulate it. Um, 
but I knew something was going on inside of me that just wasn't what was supposed to be happening. And so uh, I, I eventually, you know, every single night got to a point where I would rave opening up the tent zipper to get out of the tent to go upstairs and open the garage door and, you know, um, go out outside of the shed and, 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 and use just so that I could find peace to go to bed. And, um, and that went on for a few months. Um, just a lot of, uh, neurotic behavior, a lot of, um, self-obsession, a lot of, um, a lot of clear, clear, uh, insanity going on in my life. Um, there was no chance for happiness. I, I was uh, totally just um, demoralized. You know, I didn't like who I was and didn't know how to change it. And um, and so I, I, I talked to somebody. I have history of alcoholism in my family, and I was talking to somebody about, hey, maybe I think I'm an alcoholic. Let me let me go clean and sober for for three months. That's what this, that's what was suggested. Why don't you don't use for three months? And then if you end up using, well, then you're probably an alcoholic. And so I, I tried it out. And this was on March, um, March 29th of 2015. I was like, okay, let me go three months. And about a month into it, I hadn't drank. I quit smoking cigarettes. I wasn't using any other drugs. But I started smoking weed again. And it took me a whole other month to realize that I started smoking weed again when I was talking to the same person, they were asking me how it was going. And when I let them know, Oh, uh, Oh yeah, I'm smoking weed again. And I, and I hadn't a clue that I was doing it. They suggested that I, I find 12 step recovery. And so, um, and so I cared about this person. I didn't go to MA. The first time I went to MA was not because I cared about me or I thought I even had a problem with marijuana. I didn't think you could have a problem with marijuana. It's this thing everybody says it's harmless. Like, how could I have a problem? Fucking, it's weed, you know. It's just not. And so I, I, I really had no, I had no um, hesitation to go. I had no, I wasn't doubting myself. I didn't think that I had a problem with marijuana, even though I was going to Marijuana Anonymous. Um, I didn't know what I expected, but I do know the first meeting I went to, I didn't like, um, I didn't like the first meeting I went to. Um, I had had growing up, I have been around, you know, alcoholics, alcoholics anonymous. I have been around uh, people that do 12 steps. So I kind of had an idea of what recovery was like. And when I went to this first meeting, if I'm being honest, I didn't like what I saw. Um, and thank God that I, um, that God works in my life because um, August 10th was my first meeting. A few weeks after that, I ran into some people that I, I, I had known in the past who suggested a different MA meeting. So if there's any newcomers out there that have gone to a meeting that they thought was, uh, that they, they didn't like or, or that just didn't work for them, um, you know, my story is that I, that happened to me. You know, I didn't like the first meeting I went to, and I sort of wrote MA off until – God put a couple people in my life that suggested another meeting. Why don't I try a different meeting? So I did. I, I tried a different meeting, and lo and behold, I, I saw a guy there that when he was speaking, um, I just liked. I was just attracted to. His name is Rick, and I asked Rick to be my sponsor, and that was, was in a September of 2015. Um, Rick accepted, um, 
and I've been sober since August 10th, 2015. And at about that time, it took me a few months after asking him to be my sponsor to start working the 12 steps. Um, I did. I started working the 12 steps. I got a workbook. If nobody, if anybody here hasn't gotten a workbook, I suggest getting an MA workbook. Um, I don't proselytize, but it is a it is an amazing piece of 12-step recovery. And that's how I work my 12 steps. And that's how I suggest people that I work with to work the 12 steps. Um, when I opened the first page, in, in, or at least the first step in the workbook, it was really wonderful to, uh, for the first time in my life, have an opportunity to define my life for myself. I, I, I realized when I, when I started working the first step that uh, most of my life was defined by my marijuana using. Um, most of my life was defined by, you know, running from the enemy. You know, I couldn't tell you who the enemy was. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes more than others, but, but I, I was running and, and marijuana, you know, helped me avoid that, that, that part of life that I just couldn't get a grip on. And, and I was thankful that in MA, I was, I was able to define things for myself. And, and so working the first step, looking at powerlessness and, and how my life was unmanageable, you know, the last 60 days of my using were just, I mean, they were just miserable. I was sleeping on a fucking, pardon my French, on an inflatable mattress that deflated halfway through the night. And I'd wake up and be on the ground in a little one person tent in my aunt's basement and, you know, just praying to not use and, and breaking that promise every single night. Um, you know, like I would be sick and I would smoke marijuana thinking that, uh, that was the solution to my problems. It was just crazy. And, um, and I was thankful to get perspective on the fact that this is a disease, you know, that I suffer from an illness just because, um, just because I can't stop using doesn't mean there's something wrong with me that, uh, that there is biology going on here. That that's beyond my control, that there's other factors at play here than just me. And so it was nice to separate, you know, when I, when I got into MA for the first time and started working that first step, I was able to separate a little bit from life, you know, like for so long, life was just, fucking flying by and I was just the whiplash I was just getting my ass kicked over and over and for the first time I was able to go and take a step back and to observe what had gone on and, and what is going on and have a chance you know and and so I'll be forever grateful for MA for giving me that that breath you know that that space to to recover and I think that that's what I continue to do um, when, when I started working, you know, two through, two through 11, you know, like the first step, like I've heard in, in, in meetings, you know, the first, it's the first step and the 12th step. Those are, those are two forevers, you know, I'm always powerless and I'm seeking a spiritual awakening and two through 11, you know, two through 11 is the program and, and God, it was so good for me to have the 12 steps early on in, in recovery. And thank goodness I didn't really have much of a life uh, because 
I, I do feel bad for those people that sort of have lives and they get into recovery. I didn't really have much of a life. I didn't really have anything going for me. Um, and so I had, all I had was time. You know, I had time. I didn't have money to go do things. You know, I didn't have a car. So I had coffee shops. You got Portland's coffee shop, you know what I'm saying, and time. And so that's what I did is I, I went to work early. Um, I went to coffee shops and I would uh, get in a workbook and I would start working the 12 steps. And I think that was one of the, one of the saving graces of the program. It gave me something to do. I um, didn't do really anything else. Um, I was still recovering from this idea that I didn't like people or, or that I didn't like being around people. I liked being a homebody. And so I didn't really have others. I had a sponsor that I would call, but I wouldn't call him a friend at that time. Um, and so I worked the steps and uh, recognizing that that there was a power greater than myself in my life was uh, really something that was easy for me to do, if you will. I don't really spend a lot of time trying to, de- trying to define it, although our workbook suggests defining it, like what is our conception of God. I really don't care about that so much. I'm not really, um, I'm not really one to even discuss that with others. I don't care what your God is. Um, I really don't want to hear about it. I, I do care about your experiences with higher power, how you connect with higher power, um, and maybe the um, the outcomes of of prayer and meditation. But a specific conception I never really bothered with, and I'm thankful for that. Um, and, and, the, and the other aspect of the second step, other than recognizing the idea that I can be restored to sanity through working the 12 steps, was this idea of acceptance, that I am an addict, that this is a disease, which I still struggle with today. There's a line in, in the beginning of, of the second step that, that says, uh, you know, now that we've accepted our powerlessness over this uh, addiction, and, and I always balked at that. I, I never really liked that um, because I still struggle even for you know four years almost four years sober I still struggle with accepting that I'm an addict I still sometimes fantasize about using marijuana I mean I dream about it sometimes I smell it and it smells good I, I still try to rationalize so I'm still working on acceptance um, and I'm thankful that the program's forgiving and I get get an opportunity to do that and, 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 you know, and recognizing again in the third step about having choice, you know, I get to choose for myself today. And, and that was another wonderful blessing of the 12 steps is that I, I began to make choices for myself that weren't based off of when I was going to get my next fix. They weren't based off of, well, when I go camping, uh, how am I going to, how much am I going to bring? How much, how much marijuana do I need? You know? Um, how should I package it up? Uh, and at what point? Like, do I bring it in my bag? Am I going to smoke during the hike? Well, I can't smoke because I'm driving on the crater lake. All these different things, you know. I was actually able to make decisions based upon, you know, how I felt, you know. Like, oh, I, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm feeling sleepy. Maybe I should take a nap, you know. Very ba- like, I'm hungry. I want to eat, you know. Very basic things that I had neglected most of my life. I was so focused on marijuana that I really never learned how to make decisions for Jacob, 
you know, um, even coming into MA, I didn't even make the decision to come into MA. You know, somebody else was like, you need to go, like, fix this. I was like, okay, whatever, I'll do that, whatever you say, you know. Um, and so beginning to make a decision for myself to take care of myself, because that's really, I think, the third step, like, you know, giving myself an opportunity to love myself. And, and I do that by listening to Jacob you know, listening to what's on my mind and heart. And another way of saying that is taking my moral inventory, you know, working that four step. And that took me a few months, took me a few months to do my inventory. I started in my February, which was perfect because in Portland, February is gloomy and gray and rainy and cold. And so my insides match the outsides. And, and it was really a wonderful experience for me. I had a, a sponsor that, um, I had a sponsor that took calls, my phone calls. So while I was working my inventory out of the workbooks, I was sort of processing the things that was coming up. And the biggest things for me that came up out of my inventory was a fear of abandonment. You know, I grew up in a, in a, in a somewhat dysfunctional household. I didn't really describe very much, but it was, it was, you know, run-of-the-mill dysfunction. So I have a, a a lot of fear, a lot of my, um, a lot of the exact nature of my um, of my actions and resentments are are born out of a fear of you know abandonment, you know, a fear of not being enough, afraid of conflict. I use marijuana quite often to to not really confront reality. Um, I use marijuana like to go outside and go buy stuff at the supermarket. Uh, I oftentimes would tell myself, you know, I'm not going to leave unless I get high. I wouldn't go to the movies unless I was high. All those things were just born out of this fear, uh, this fear of really having to see the truth. And so fear of conflict, fear of abandonment. Um, and God, I held on to a lot of grief. I held on to a lot of, of pain from my past. And so being able to process that with my sponsor really, I think, allowed me um, an opportunity to stay sober. Um, and my fifth step experience was beautiful. Um, I actually, my sponsor and I got an Airbnb on the Clackamas River here in Oregon. And this Airbnb had, had a, a, the most generic, like quintessential uh, nook on the top of the house that had a nice like oak desk and, and we both sat down overlooking the Calacamas River through this beautiful window. And it took a you know, two multiple days, it took two days to go through my fifth step. And um like our literature says, um I felt I began to felt free, I I began to feel free for the first time. Um you know like having experiences um, like sexual experiences as a kid that I held on to that I felt ashamed about. Um, being able to share that with another man and be able to, being able to just be heard and be listened to was, um, was an experience that allowed me to sort of be free for the first time from a lot of those, those effects of this disease. Um, being able to share about my fears and about what, what I'm scared of you know, um, coming from my fear inventory, uh, being able to share about my relationship experiences in the past that I never felt strong enough to share, um, you know, having that integrity, the spiritual principle of the fifth step, the integrity, um, 
was amazing. And that, that same freedom carried into step six and seven, the forgotten steps, you know, being able to have the willingness and the humility to, to sit and look at myself and, um, and to be free from this compulsion to use marijuana, which is probably one of my favorite experiences in MA was about me like nine months in, I remember finding myself reading the sixth step and there's a paragraph like, like, you know, two thirds of the way through that says, by now we have been relieved of the obsession to use. And I remember reading that like nine months in and, and I all of a sudden realized that for the last fucking nine months, I had not thought of like, I didn't, even though I was working in a marijuana anonymous program, I was going to meetings, I was talking to my sponsor, I was writing about my addiction to marijuana. I had like not obsessed about marijuana in nine months. And, you know, that was the first time I realized that the program's working. You know, even through all of my beautiful experiences working the first six, first five steps, I, um, I didn't realize that I hadn't, I didn't realize that the program worked. <laughs> and that's, I guess, the funny thing is that the program works whether I, I think it is or not. Um, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I'm not the arbiter of this program working. The program is going to work whether the fuck I want it to or not. You know, saying as long as I do the deal, as long as I'm showing up in meetings, as long as I'm talking to people, as long as I'm working my steps, you know, writing, um, sharing honestly, the program is going to work. You know, God is going to be there whether or not you know, I will it, you know, it's not a, it's not a strength of willpower or how good of a person I can be. It said, am I willing to do the little things? And so I was, I was thankful for that. Um, you know, especially during the six and seven steps, when I begin to make that transition from, from living a life of addiction to living a spiritual life. And, you know, when I become willing to look at how my defects of character affected my life and really those are the things that led me to using. And I began to see, oh, this is what the 12 steps are about. This is what MA is about. You know, MA is not just about not using. Uh, MA is about uh, resolving a lot of these these aspects of myself that are perpetuating the disease, resolving a lot of these uh, fears that I have and a lot of the d- discomforts and discontent and discontentions that's a word that I have and, and to see how they affect my, my life and, and, and others and my relationship with God. And, um, and that's kind of where I began to develop some of my 12 step prayers in the six and seven step, uh, you know, you know, asking God to save me from that, which keeps me from God, from others and from myself. And to please help me see um, those areas of myself that are, you know, keeping me from God, and, and please help me find ways to um, to change those those aspects of myself, or at least face them. And and I think the the humility from sitting in those two nebulous steps for a few months enabled me to begin to um, begin to look at all the, the the relationships of my past with others and with myself, where I you know, felt like I'm, I'm, I may or may not owe amends. And, and keeping my inventory was really helpful for my eighth step. You know, I kept my inventory. I had that, that, that uh, I still have it today at my house. And 
and keeping that, that four-step inventory for my eighth step was really wonderful um, and, 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 and quite illuminating to see the parallels between those that I'm resentful at and to those that I, that I, I feel like I need to make amends to. And, um, you know, more often than not, I thought that I was more important than I really am. Like my inventory was fucking way bigger than it needed to be. Like today I would write an inventory way smaller four years sober than I did initially. I, I was, um, again, like I said, my relationship to reality was not what it was, not what it really was. So shout out to all the good sponsors out there. Thank you. Um, and so coming into the eighth step and, and, and um, looking at a lot of the, the, the amends that I thought I needed to make and then talking to my sponsor about that um, and, and looking for the forgiveness to make those, those amends um, was really wonderful and carried on to the ninth step. You know, a lot of my amends to people I made, most of them were like financial and, and living amends. Um, financial amends and living amends. Um, some people that I went to make amends to, you know, shot me down, you know, while I was sitting down with them, you know, they weren't going to talk about it. You fucked me up too much. So there was a lot of experiences that were, you know, somewhat difficult in my ninth step. It wasn't like beautiful, blissful, like relieving conversations that I had with some people. Um, some people didn't go so well. And, uh, I mean, I did my best, you know, um, and most importantly, I didn't relapse. Um, I, 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 you know, I thought that I, I worked my program. I worked the first eight steps as well as I could have before that ninth step. And I think that enabled me to continue to be sober through, you know, what, what can be somewhat of a stressful experience. Um, and then going on to those maintenance steps. And, and this is something that I still do today and I, I still struggle with and I'm still, um, I'm still working on my 10th and 11th step. Still figuring out prayer and, and uh, excuse me, still figuring out that daily inventory that works for me. Um, one that's gentle, one that um, uh, serves a purpose, not, not that uh, looks to just shame. That's something I still continue to work on with the people in my life, um, but definitely something I do. I, I, I talk to people in the program every day. I, I go to meetings. I, um, you know, sit down in the morning and the evenings, and I attempt to connect with a power greater than myself, one that I misunderstand more often than not. And, and you know, I, I think... I think that definitely the spiritual awakening that I have had has definitely been a slow one. There have been um, plenty of spiritual experiences in my life. Um, and I think the, 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 the first spiritual awakening I had was one that I shared during the sixth step when I realized that I was not obsessing about marijuana in my life. I, I, I remembered, didn't revolve around marijuana. And, um, and I'm thankful for that. Another spiritual, I think, awakening that I had was recognizing that, you know, getting getting clean is, you know, really but a small. I mean, it's, it it seems it seems in the early stages the most, um, you, it, it seems like the whole program getting clean, and and it is a, a large 
obviously, you know, Marijuana Anonymous, staying free from marijuana is the only reason why we're here. You know, and the only reason why I'm talking today is so that I fucking get re- and receive some of your strengths through osmosis to not use. Um, and it is also to begin to free myself from those things that have kept me, you know, in, chained down for so long, my fears of abandonment, my fears of conflict, my fears of you not liking me, my fears of not being enough, you know, those things that I see in the fourth and fifth step, um, you know, I begin to work on by working the set, working the 12 steps. And so, um, and so today in my life, you know, it's, I have a lot of fun, you know, I have a lot of fun and I, I, I you know, I recognize today that I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not depriving myself. You know, the, the, for me, Marijuana Anonymous is not about deprivation. I'm not walking around fucking, you know, create, you know, feeling bad about myself that I can't smoke weed. You know, I do not, that is not me. If I, if I was, I, w- I would rather smoke weed than do that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not here to fucking be miserable that I can't use. I, I love life. I, I, I love being sober. You know, I don't come to MA because I'm afraid of using. You know, I don't come to MA because I'm worried about relapsing. No, I come to MA to live a full life. You know, I, I work 12 steps because it's, it's fun. It's fun to, to, to grow spiritually. It's so underrated. You know, it's fun to connect with others and, and to, 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 to have deep relationships. And it's, it's really awesome that I had this addiction to bring me to these places of freedom that I, I don't necessarily know I would have otherwise. You know, my family doesn't uh, live a spiritual life. My family doesn't share how they're feeling and doesn't talk about their fears and doesn't express the shame that they may or may not have about uh, what happened at work or this relationship that's not going so well. Uh, but in MA, I found people that are capable of holding space for those types of things um, and so that's why I come to MA still, you know, I'm still coming back because it's fun and the people here are awesome and, um, and I like it and, and, and I, and I continue to practice that principle of defining for myself what this program means to me, you know, don't listen to what I say and take that for fact, like do it yourself. You know, and that's what I really like about this. And I know that my, I'm, it's about five fifty, so I'll wrap up here soon. But I really like this program because I get to do it for me, you know. I I get to define this program for me, you know. I get to work this program how I want to work it, you know what I'm saying. And there are uh, there are some damn well shoulds, you know what I'm saying. There are some suggestions, like get a sponsor, go to meetings, call people, work the steps. And I get to do that, you know, the way that, that works for me. And I really I need that. And I really appreciate that. And I get to define what my higher power is. You know, I get to define what powerlessness means to me. You know, I get to have my own spiritual awakening. And none of this stuff can, you know, none of this stuff, you know, I can't, um, I can't do it alone. And I can't, you know, and, 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 I, and I'm thankful, you know, I'm really thankful for that, that I get to, to hear others and, and what they've done and to get to apply it to my life and see what I can do with it. Um, and so, um, you know, I have a beautiful life today. 
it's definitely not where I not where I um it's 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 not necessarily perfect. You know, I have a lot of uh, shortcomings still. Uh, I have a lot of things that I'd rather be doing, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I laugh more. I um, I have a sense of freedom within myself and with others. Um, I'm much more stronger today. I can feel, you know, I can feel sad. Um, uh, and and then boiling it all the way back down, um, when I wake up in the morning, I don't have to load a bowl to get out of bed. You know, when I'm when I'm on public transportation and driving in my car. Um, I'm not concerned about how I'm going to load up my piece next. You know, when I go to work, I'm not cellophaning, wrapping my pipe because I'm afraid somebody's going to smell it, you know, and like concerned about when I'm going to get a break and, 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 and focused on, oh, am I too high or sitting in a manager's office, you know, getting chewed out about being high in front of customers. You know, I don't, I don't have those problems anymore. And, and as a result of that, um, and having loving people in my life, uh, I get to have a lot more space to create, you know, Jacob today. Um, and that's, that's definitely a work in progress because for a vast majority of my life, uh, I didn't know who Jacob was and I, I didn't have the space inside of myself to put up with the discomfort of not knowing. And, and so today I may gives me, um, you know, gives me that strength to to deal with life, and, and better yet, to to row. You know, to row with life and to to grow with life, and to um, uh, finally to give back to others that have given to me. You know, that service, that twelve step to to carry the message. So, thank you all for listening. Thanks, Jesse, for inviting me, and love you all. Thank you.